we didn't start, and I want to honor your time. Uh, we didn't start on time because we had some uh, we had some sound issues. You might have noticed Mike up here strumming a lot, but no sound coming out. That that's why we had a few sound issues, and we were so focused on the sound issues, we didn't close the curtain. I heard somebody say, wow, that stage is big, because we don't normally get to see the rest of it. And, um, and if the light behind the screen was difficult or hurt your eyes, I'm sorry, we will try to close that in future weeks. Um, but we got some sound, we got some worship, we had some great songs, I'm all caffeinated, I'm ready to go. Um, we are going to be in a really good chapter today. It is chapter Matthew, it is Matthew 18. If you would like a Bible to turn there, raise your hand. If you have a phone or a Bible already, you can turn to Matthew 18. Kevin will get us Bibles. He's the Desert's End Bible man. And while you get a Bible and turn there, I will pray, uh, and you can pray with me. What great truths, Lord, in those songs, Father, You are all we need. Lord, God, the offered lives of the weakest ones, Lord, are known to change the world. Even the wonderful fact that You're a good Father, Not a uninvolved father. And, and so, Lord, today we look to you to bring truths that we already know deep in our own heart. And we look to do we, we look to you to be here. Lord, we believe you're here and working, and may your kingdom be here this morning as it is in heaven, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Now you guys are all at Matthew 18, but I am not. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you can stop there. We won't get any farther. The disciples ask a question here. And Jesus is going to take the opportunity in this question, in this chapter, to do a lot of teaching. The disciples are going to ask questions. Jesus is going to teach. It is a wonderful chapter of teaching. My guess here, scholars' guesses, is that they've come down the mountain from the transfiguration and they, are, they kind of walked down the mountain and they went to uh, Capernaum, 
there, so they're probably there in Peter's house in Capernaum, which has made some people think the child might have been Peter's child that Jesus took to him. That's all conjecture. But you can sometimes, you might be able to picture it, Jesus sitting in the middle, the teachers would sit, and the disciples standing around, or maybe not. Maybe the normal conventions of teaching and students, they dispensed with behind closed doors. We don't know. Verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus. So, what does he mean by at that time? Well, I think he means this, at the time of the last things that were happening. So, this is the end of verse chapter 17. This is the beginning of 18, but numbers don't mean anything. This, so, at the same, op, the same time that Jesus was talking about the temple tax, so Peter goes, hey Jesus, do, you, do, you, do we pay taxes? And Jesus is like, well, I'm exempt from taxes, but you know, so we don't offend anybody. Go fishing and you'll find a coin in a fish's mouth and then pay, pay the taxes for you and for me. And the other disciples, I'm sure, were like, can you pay my taxes? But I guess just Peter's taxes. And also what was happening at that time is Jesus is trying to talk about His death, talk about the cross, talk about His suffering, talk about the resurrection. He has been trying over and over again in this kind of part of Matthew to get the disciples to understand what's going to happen. But they have to this point been somewhat dense. So Jesus is talking about His abasement and the disciples are talking about who is the greatest. So they're not aligned and on the same page. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So I have some questions for you, and this is going to be really fun. Who is the greatest quarterback of all time? Mahomes says one. Joe Montana. I was hoping he might come up. Elway. Somebody's from Colorado. Dan Marino. You grew up in Florida. Any other names that should come up in this conversation? I don't think so. Nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to say it. <laughs> Ace Ventura. Okay. Um, we're going off the rails. Now, a couple people have had that conversation. It's debated a couple times. What about the, ba- the greatest basketball player? Michael Jordan? I have actually listened to a lot of people talk about this for a very long time. I'm, uh, and people do talk about it from the greatest of all time. We have acronyms. GOAT, greatest of all time. GOAT. So we can always talk about, if you turn on people that are yapping about sports, they'll always talk about the GOAT. And you're like, okay, the GOAT. Well, that is not very flattering to whoever it is. 
But I am a agnostic when it comes to the greatest of all time basketball player. I think it could be about 12 dudes, but that's way different discussion. Okay, the greatest cities ever. Did you say Phoenix? <laughs> okay, okay. All right, let's, let's stack up Phoenix to like ancient Rome. Like, come on, ancient Rome. Any other cities? London. New York, yeah. What was it? Northern California, okay, okay. Yeah, so what makes... You know, when I think about great cities, I think of cities that have been the center of civilization. Constantinople and Rome and the places where the commerce is, the places where they're the center of politics, the center of peace, the great cities. What about the greatest president of the United States? Or we got Washington, Reagan, Obama, Lincoln. Yeah, that's a pop- popular one. If you look... If you look up the Wikipedia article on the greatest presidents, they talk about survey after survey after survey this year and that year and this year and this person and that person and, and, and bipartisan and Republican. It is the longest Wikipedia article you will ever read. So I don't know who you got. You know, it's like the playoffs. Franklin D. versus Lincoln. We love to rank stuff. And we love to think about the greatest. Who is the greatest military general? Was it Alexander the Great? Because of course he has it in his name. Of course he's the greatest. Genghis Khan? Yeah, we, we, we could go. We could get out the ranker. Figure it out. What about the greatest corporations? Sean, you're a business guy. A- Apple. You work for American Express. You're biased. What was that? Nonprofits. Good. Show it. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on your criteria, show it might be very high or very low. McDonald's. I like, I like, the, I like the youth jumping in. What was that? BlackRock. Okay. Family. Okay. Okay. Good. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus. Jesus. That's good. If you were to ask that question, you would... Like, you probably think you're pretty good if you're going to ask the question, who's the greatest? Because what did they think he was going to say? Now, that probably depends on their level of understanding. But they pretty much thought about this as a physical kingdom, that God was going to restore Israel and Jesus is going to be a king on a physical throne and he was going to have an army and he was going to need a right-hand man, he was going to need a secretary of state. 
And it was all going to be kind of hierarchical and ranked. And they want it, and they, they are saying, hey, we know that that's coming in the future, but we know the kingdom of God is now because we've already passed Matthew 13. And because they, they think it's kind of now, they think, I think they believe that they are the, they're the seed of the kingdom that's coming. They're the important people in the kingdom of God. And that Jesus is going to say, it's one of them. Or he's going to talk about all of them. Maybe it's going to be Peter. Peter's, Peter's the guy walking on water. He's kind of the spokesman. He's the one, you know, fishing for gold in fish's mouths. But he, well, maybe it's not Peter because he was called Satan and he gets rebuked and, you know, he's, you know, he's Peter. And I kind of wonder... if our thought patterns aren't somehow kind of like the disciples. How many of us think we're the smartest in the room? Or we kind of know the best? Or we're the best with people and the most discerning? And we're, at the very least, that we're the ones that are right. The disciples wanted power, position, be seen as great. They wanted glory. And I think they actually did want to be great. And Jesus here is going to give them what they want. He is going to teach them about the inner workings of the kingdom of God. Now you, whoever said it is right... If you ask someone who the greatest is the kingdom in the kingdom of God is, the answer is Jesus. The answer Jesus could give is me. And when people ask him questions, he very cleverly all the time says, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm the greatest. And he doesn't do that here. He doesn't do that here because that he is using this as a moment to teach them what they need. And he is going to tell them. We're going to go behind the curtain and get the inside scoop into the kingdom of God. And they don't have any idea what's coming. They have no idea. Jesus has been trying to get them to understand the cross. They don't get it. And probably in reality, if we were in the same place, we wouldn't have gotten it either. But this is what Jesus says. I'm going to read it again. Verse 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Children. That is your and my principal identity before God. We are God's children. And when Jesus talked to people, he and even talked to his disciples, he called them children. And that's really weird. Because grown men don't say that to grown men. Even if Grown men don't say that to 20-year-olds. Even when there's an age gap, 
and Jesus did. But you know who also did? John, the, the person who wrote the book of John, and the first John, John the Apostle. He, in his writings, calls people children. He says children, and then he says little children. In another place, he says, my little children. And I think that's even weirder. You're, he's not even Jesus, and he's calling churches he's writing to, saying the people in the church are my little children. Well, I think he is walking in a pattern and an understanding of Jesus. Jesus called people little children. And it is a truth about who we are before God. And the statement for these disciples who are thinking about greatness, for Jesus to talk about children is shocking. So picture him. He's there. Jesus' arms is around a little child. And I think about how that was not an uncommon occurrence. Children are around Jesus all the time. They're around Jesus in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15 and Matthew 18 and Matthew 19 and Matthew 21. And Matthew 23. And, I, and children love to be around Jesus. And Jesus, it seems like, loved to be around children. And with this child in his arms, Jesus begins to teach. And as I picture it in my mind, Jesus is, Jesus is there. And the child is just content. Content with its maker, with the wonderful Jesus. And he says, unless you change, unless you turn, the word is also translated, I don't know if you're reading your own Bible, some of your Bibles might say, unless you are converted You have to be converted to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you have to be converted, do you know what that means? You're not in the kingdom of heaven now if you have to be converted. When we're born, we are born outside of the kingdom of God. We are born into Adam's sin. And so we're born into Adam's sin, and then when we're old enough, we do plenty of sinning on our own, and we are outside of the kingdom of God. And then we turn, we change, we become new, we are converted into the kingdom of God. And Jesus does something interesting with the disciples. He does not correct them for wanting to be great. He does not correct them for wanting glory. He does not even correct them for their ambition. 
he redirects the definition of what greatness is. Because we think of greatness, and we think of working hard, and we think of corporations, and cities, and but the kingdom of God, greatness in the kingdom of God is not even on that grid. It's completely unrecognizable. And it starts with a child. And what is noteworthy about a child? Now, before we get into this, um, I want to give a little shout out here. A bunch of the thoughts scattered in this, this message are from uh, a message that Albert Moeller gave on this, this passage. And so I didn't like cite them all. But if you were to listen to that message, you go, ah, I hear echoes of Brandon. Well, Brandon actually is echoes of Albert Muller. So I want to make sure I give credit where credit's due there. But let's, let's think about this for a second before we go into all that. What is noteworthy about children? What are characteristics of kids? Honesty. Okay, good. Yes, Crystal. Your love. Curious. Carefree. I like that one. I like that one. Clumsy. Who are you calling about kids? It's faith. I, I think that's true. Innocence. Wait, wait. I got a comment on innocence. They have, they're symbolically innocent, but they're not innocent. They're not innocent. Tell a five-year-old to stay in bed, and we'll find out if he's innocent. They're not innocent. They're not innocent. Leave a cookie jar out and leave the room and find out if the child is innocent. He's guilty, and you can tell because it's all over his face. Uh, which brings me to another thing. I don't think children deceive well. They don't hide well. Um, yes, let's keep going. I thought about that. I was like, there's going to be a million right answers and one wrong answer, which will be innocent, which I know will come up. What's next? Other thoughts? Simple? Yeah. Dependent. Very good word. Naive, trusting. Yeah. Let me roll through some of these here. Remember you said, my, my first thought is um, children are not that humble. They're pretty self-centered, actually. So Jesus is calling them humble. So there are some ways in which I think they are humble, and some ways I think they're not. The second is, I don't, they're not concerned with social status. Um, and in, you know, when we're talking about biblical times and in ancient times, children, children yeah, had no importance. They're, they were regarded more as property. They, they were even less important. But even now, you know, they, they are not the distinguished and important people of the world. Children are also not threatening. Like, I'm not afraid when I go down a dark alley that I'm going to meet a five-year-old. 
and children are mature. In comparison to adults, sorry, they're immature in comparison to adults. They're very immature. They're simple. They will have a deeper understanding when they're older, when they're adults. But they are trusting. They know they cannot take care of their own needs. They have a sense of vulnerability. They know that there are big, scary people out there. They know they would be consumed by different things, by threats. But they are capable of a profound trust, a sense of neediness. And I think that's harder for adults. We lose that sense. Of trust. Because for adults, things get pre- multifaceted pretty quickly. They get complicated. My, my desires and what I want is complicated. And who I am inside is all very many things that are competing. And my concerns are more involved in my sin, my desire for satisfaction. Maybe you could say more deadly. What did the disciples want Him to say? The disciples wanted Jesus to say, you know, Nathaniel, when I saw you under the tree, I knew you could be a great leader. It was inside you. They wanted him to say, Hey, Peter, I see greatness in you. Look at all the disciples. To look at all the disciples and to say, You guys have the stuff that can change the world. That's what they wanted him to say. They wanted to look at themselves and see something awesome. To believe there was something awesome in there. And so do we. But the disciples needed to change. They needed to change and become like little children. They needed to be converted. They needed to change to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And what's crazy is, Jesus doesn't say, hey, do this and you'll, you'll move up rank in heaven. Do this and you'll be up on my right and my left when you get into, into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you need to do this just to get in. Just to enter the kingdom of heaven. For the disciples to be carefree. For them to be able to sleep and to laugh like a little child would in the middle of adversity when everyone else is freaking out. They are going to have to change. They are going to have to be converted. And I think about us.
Do we want to be converted? Or are we? Do we see ourselves? The smartest in the room, or the best with people, or right, or the one who can make it happen. Or maybe it's something more subtle. I was saying, what does it mean to grow up? These guys, growing up. What does it mean for middle schoolers to grow up? Well, I think about myself. I've grown up. And so there was a point where I was in need of education. But now I have, I have some measure of knowledge. And we all have some measure of knowledge in our chosen area of skill and in, and in our field. I used to be in need of food and of housing. But now I take care of myself. I can go out, order what I want. I even take care of a family. You know, I used to need rides everywhere. But now, I have a car. See, for us as adults... To grow up means we don't have any need anymore. And that's the whole process of growing up. Oh, I don't need anyone to buckle me into my car seat anymore because I can do it myself. But these big things for us, these milestones of getting knowledge and of getting a job and to becoming more independent, they don't help us. understand what the kingdom of God is. They don't help us enter the kingdom of God. Excuse me. A child symbolizes the inability to take care of himself. And the child is okay with that. A child is dependent, but that doesn't bother them. That's okay. And I think of the Spirit's role. I've been thinking about, okay, what are the Spirit's role in a believer's life? And how do I see the Spirit in you and you and you? What should I be looking for? And one of the things I've been thinking is maybe one of the ways that the Holy Spirit interacts with us most is just helps us handle life. The fact that in some measure, life is, we can handle life. We're strengthened to, to handle life, to be able to deal with the relational things that come up. And the fact that I still have relationships with people that I've known for a long while. That the Holy Spirit's power in my life is, is why I have a job and why I can stay there. And it all kind of holds together because of the Holy Spirit's power in my life. Because of the Holy Spirit's guidance in my life. 
Sometimes people say, I want to grow up spiritually. And spiritual leaders like me say, grow up spiritually. Let's grow up. Well, what does that mean? Do we need to grow taller or smaller? See, if we become less today, if we become smaller today, we're actually growing spiritually. And I, I think that's the, the, the first point here when I think about children and what Jesus is talking about is that children understand their need, their powerlessness. their vulnerability. Second, secondly, second thing about kids is a child is trusting. That came up several times. Faith and trust. I have had uh, several small children. I have uh, one small child now, a four-year-old. And what always amazes me about small children is their trust. So it'll be, go like this. It'll go, I'm on the monkey bars. Dad, come do the monkey bars with me. Dad, come see me do the monkey bars. And then it's like, I'm on these really high monkey bars as this really small kid, and I'm going bump, bump, bump. And then I'm like, oh, I'm done, and I let go. And the expectation is, Dad will catch me. Oh, Dad will catch me. Some of you went to faith camp with us, and at faith camp where we checked in, there was a big rock. My four-year-old says, Dad, can I climb the rock? I'm like, sure, go ahead, climb the rock. And while she's climbing the rock and getting to the top, I've got you know maybe half an eye on her, and I'm also having a conversation with people I haven't seen in a while, and all of a sudden, I see out of the corner of my eye this flying object through the air that has decided to jump toward me. That'll catch me. Now, sometimes kids are like that because they don't understand the, the, the pain. I could just do whatever because I don't understand that when I hit my head, it hurts. But even after they understand that, there's a profound level of trust that kids have with their parents. I was standing over by the coffee table one week, and um, I think it was a gamble kid. Where's, is Ryan here, or is he teaching Sunday school? Ryan, Abra. And I, um, I think it was Rosalie, but I don't, I don't remember. And I was standing there, and there were more people coming in, and a bunch of college students came in, and they were tall, and they were scary, and, and, uh, I was standing there talking, and Rosalie was standing next to me, and she just put up her hand and grabbed my hand. And uh, <laughs> and Ryan, Ryan was like, um, Rosalie. And when Rosalie looked at Ryan, she thought, oh, um, whose hand am I holding? And she looked up at me, and then she ran away. Um, to Ryan. And I, and I thought, yeah, that's what the child does. As soon as it's scary, put on my hand. Put on my hand. 
and trust the one who's going to grab it. This is why a child is a model of faith. If we are to be children, the criteria is simple faith. Can you put up that slide, Maddie? This was my ESV study Bible note. The humility of a child consists of childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. I, I, I like that. The humility of a child of God, you and I, our humility should consist of vulnerability, trust, and the inability to advance our own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of God. So it's, it's a child raising his hand. I can't meet my own needs. I trust the Father will meet my needs. A child trusts that he is not going to starve. He doesn't worry about it. Do you trust God that you're not going to starve? A child trusts that he will be protected. Do you? The child trusts that the parent will not harm him. Do you trust that of God? A child trusts that he will be taught and not misled. And a child trusts that when he turns around in a crowd, when he turns around, when he has a need, the parent will be there. He won't be left alone in a crowd of people where mom's not there or dad's not there. The faith that saves is a faith that trusts. This trust that the Father will do what He said. Let's, let's do that other verse, Maddie. Jesus says, Oh, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Jesus is asking for trust. You know when you get to heaven, you're not going to get to heaven and then be self-sufficient. You're going to get to heaven and be dependent for all eternity. You will be a child. We are God's children forever. And that's how we came into the kingdom. We came into the kingdom knowing we had a need. We had such a need and that Jesus was sufficient. 
and we live our Christian life and we will live in eternity with need and Christ will be sufficient and he will be the satisfaction for all our needs. There's a lot of people that know the facts of salvation. You can't come, you can't get into the kingdom of God unless you know the story of Jesus. You know that Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And there are facts that go along, along with it, but there are a lot of people who know all the facts but do not have the trust. You know, there's a trick that the devil plays. And the devil plays this trick, and the trick says, well, God is a good father, but He's not going to be a good father to you because you're a bad boy. And so other people can trust, but you should be a little... You should be not so sure about God being good to you. I don't think you can be sure God will be there for you. And, and that's the good news of, of Jesus. He said He offered forgiveness to anyone who will ask. He offers His righteousness to all that come and believe. And Jesus does that because His joy is in His kids. And He does what He says. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I pray for us. Lord, I, we want to be kids. Lord, would You make us Your children that are carefree, laughing, sleeping through difficulty because we are full of trust. That You give us, because of our trust, the capacity for joy. That You would not let the evil one trick us and lie to us to rob us of the kingdom of God or to rob us of joy or to rob us of trust. Lord, put our eyes on You. Father, I thank You that Jesus is sufficient for all our needs and help us think in this upside-down way. Lord, Lord, make us great at trusting. Lord, I think that's what you think is great. That we be ones that, that put our hands up and grab hold when we have need. Work that good in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, anything else? That's everything?